Hello, welcome to the Monday, August 1st, 2016 edition of the Sands and Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich and today I'm recording from Boston, Massachusetts. I got a quick update to a story from Friday. Didier found a new version of the tool that he used to analyze that RTF document, RTF object. Philippe told him that there is a new version that will actually parse the document just like Didier described it in his diary out of the box without having to apply some of the additional tricks that Didier had to apply. So nice if you run into one of these RTF documents they certainly are somewhat common and are often to transmit malicious code. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that Start SSL had problems with its certificate portal that you use to verify whether or not you're actually responsible for a particular domain. You could actually fake this verification and be considered responsible for any domain out there. Well, it turns out StartSSL is not the only one with vulnerabilities like this. We have a new report here from Matthew Prine who looked at Komodo's trial certificates and how they are validated. The problem here was that Komodo, when you are trying to verify yourself for a particular domain, is sending you an email or sending an email to the contact that's listed for the domain with a link that the user then has to click on. Well, this is pretty much what all certificate authorities are doing. The problem here was that due to a vulnerability in how the email is being assembled, it is possible for an attacker to try to verify domain name but then use HTML as the company name and that HTML will be inserted into the email without properly escaping it, leaking to the validation code to being leaked to an attacker. Once the attacker knows that validation code, then of course they're able to inject this or use uh, this validation code to verify the domain ownership. The way he is exfiltrating the validation code is actually pretty simple. He's replacing the link that's being sent to the valid owner of the domain with a text that states that the user has to click on that link in order to stop the SSL certificate from being created. So once the legitimate owner receives that request, they think they can stop the attacker by clicking on the link, but actually they just achieve the opposite. So simple cross-site scripting here. It doesn't involve any JavaScript, really just HTML markup, which is why this vulnerability is also called dangling markup injection. And if you used the popular iOS or Android keyboard SwiftKey, you may have noticed that some of the auto completions completed to terms that you're not necessarily familiar with, maybe even email addresses that you didn't recognize. SwiftKey is a keyboard that tries to improve auto completion by constantly learning what users are typing. In order to accomplish this, everything you type on SwiftKey is being sent back to SwiftKey for analysis. Now, you may consider that in itself a big data leak, but that wasn't the worst part here. What happened apparently is that data from different users got intermingled with each other. And then if you, for example, started to type an email address, it may have been completed with an email address that a different user 
typed. Apparently SwiftKey has solved this problem now and I'll add a link to SwiftKey. Apology to the show notes. And then we got a new version of OPNSense. OPNSense was originally branched off from PFSense. So just like PFSense, it's free BSD based. The newest version 16.7 now does, for example, support NetFlow. It also does support booting from UEFI, which should allow you to run it on more modern hardware. So number of additional changes here as well. These are just uh, the two that sort of stuck out to me. And popular instant chat messaging application WhatsApp is often used because it does provide pretty good encryption and privacy, but turns out one area where it fails is the deleting of old messages. If you're deleting a message on WhatsApp, you may not actually delete it on all devices and backup copies that are routinely made from these databases. For example, if you're syncing via iCloud, you also have an iCloud copy of the database that is not necessarily deleted. So someone with the necessary forensic skills would be able to recover some of these messages. This, by the way, is not specific to WhatsApp. The author of this blog points out, and I've observed this myself, that for example, iMessage and other software is typically keeping entries around, in particular in its SQLite database. With iMessage, I also saw attachments of messages that you long considered deleted. Well, that's it for today. So thanks again for listening and talk tomorrow. Bye.